Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro. Uh, our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Happy Easter to everybody out there. Um, as always, much appreciation to all of the comments and feedback and uh, humbling how many people are coming from so many different places for me to do a neuropsych eval or do consults. Um, never envisioned this podcast to reach the magnitude and audience that it has. Um, so, again, much, much appreciation. And for those of you guys who follow this program on a regular basis, um, I do these organically. And, again, Julie's like, will you please just pick a topic? And she's here. She may jump in. That's kind of how what her style is. But one, uh, a few people this week wanted me to talk about adolescent mental health. And it was really interesting to learn um, – the varying degrees of, um, let me say, legislation or rules, uh, at least here in the United States, it was really surprising to learn uh, that there was not a lot of uniformity uh, when it comes to adolescent mental health. And as a neuropsychologist and diagnostician, I could tell you firsthand that since the pandemic, I mean, adolescent mental health was there. So it was childhood mental health. I'm just going to focus on adolescent mental health. Uh, was there prior to the pandemic? But the pandemic, I think, did an incredibly an incredible number on the psyche of many adolescents, especially when we were in in the midst of lockdowns and remote learning. Um, and even adolescents, even adolescents said, "I didn't learn anything that last year." You know, I would log into Zoom and then I would go play video games because mom and dad are working downstairs because we were all living together. Um, you know, it was an interesting article I read, uh, I forget what journal it was in, but how the number of DCF cases or like DYS, like Department of Children and Families, was down 50% in the midst of the pandemic, uh, which is kind of alarming because we do know that uh, children... Adults, but sticking with children and adolescents, uh, do get abused, but you know, they have that significant uh decrease. I found to be disturbing, actually. So, uh, you know, the number of adolescents that, that I have been seeing, and just talking with my colleagues who are pediatricians, uh, who work um, as psychiatric nurse practitioners primarily with um, adolescents, I used to be able to text them. Uh, sending you Joe Smith, sending you Amber. No problem getting right in. I can't get anybody in with a prescriber for adolescents anywhere. Um, the wait lists are, are exponential for entry into the mental health system to begin with. And, you know, parents, if, if, if you're not a clinician, that, that there, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, there are, I think that what I've seen is the school systems across the globe uh, need to do a much better job uh, of increasing their training and awareness of adolescent mental health problems. As I've said, mental health, and the huge reason for doing this podcast is, is to give a legitimacy. And, you know, the number of kids, young kids I've seen recently, 9, 10, 11, uh, having suicidal thoughts, uh, self-injurious behaviors, some reporting psychotic symptoms or or dissociation from having been sexually abused. I mean, th these are very, very real things. Um, 
And, you know, with any psychiatric condition, the earlier you can get into treatment, the better off you are going to be. Um, Julie sees, uh, she treats 13 and above. Um, so she might want to talk about medications if, if she feels like it with, with respect to adolescents, but, um, it, 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 I think, I think, I don't know if I'd use the word epidemic, but I think it is definitely something, uh, again, from talking to people across the globe, uh, pe- parents, uh, school teachers, um, Family members, they really don't know what to do, and and depends on the type of mental health issues. Are these just you know emotional problems like like just depression and and anxiety or panic, uh, OCD, or are you getting into like pediatric bipolar disorder or the behavioral disorders like opposite defiant disorder, conduct disorder? Uh, it's a mood disorder, but there's still a behavioral component to it. Disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. So we have we have the diagnostic tools, uh, you know, in terms of my line of work to be able to identify with precision exactly what's going on and develop a comprehensive treatment plan. But, you know, kids are going in and out of psychiatric hospitals, psychiatric facilities. They're going in and out of partial programs, what are called like IOPs. Um, which kind of go there for like the day for a group and they try to incorporate your schoolwork in. Um, but adolescent mental health is, is, is definitely on the rise and it really impacts the entire family system. You know, if you, if you just take your stereotypical intact family and one child is having a, a psychiatric problem or, or undiagnosed condition, um, you know, sometimes the child will lash out at the parents. Sometimes the child will lash out at their siblings. Sometimes the child will lash out um, the friends that come over, uh, other people's houses. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it, mental health really isn't contained because once the symptoms are actually, use the word like turned on, um, they don't tend to ameliorate unless you're getting treatment, whether that's psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, psychotropic medications. Uh, again, as always, the best research has consistently shown the best efficacy is cognitive behavioral therapy and psychotropic medications. Um, so I think it's really important that there's open dialogue in, in families. Um, the families that really have a, a, an open dialogue where the child can come to a parental figure, a family member, and, and and talk about things because, you know, again, depending on the developmental piece, um, if, if if I segue back like to childhood, if there's some conditions, the kids don't have necessarily the the uh, vocabulary or the verbal acumen to report what they're feeling or what they're what's going on with them. Um, even adolescents, they, 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 a lot of times you, you'll see it come out behaviorally, uh, a short temper, um, refusing to do chores, refusing to go to bed, um, you know, refusing to give the parents their phone at the end of the night, um, addicted to Facebook, addicted to Instagram, getting into sexting, getting into, you know, pornography. And, and it is, it's just, it's pervasive. And I'm talking on a, on a, on a, a I think a, a huge level, um, in, in the United States and you know in Massachusetts, but adolescent mental health really um, kids are not kids are not immune to this. You know, with certain certain disorders, they have a higher genetic um, people have a higher genetic predisposition to developing them. 
especially when it comes down to bipolar disorder. And it's crucial to figure out if, if there is depression, is it bipolar depression where there might be mania or hypomania um, or cyclothymia, or is it just unipolar depression where it's made, that's just major depressive disorder or something called what used to be called dysthymia that's now called persistent depressive disorder. So it's really important distinction to make if you're considering putting your child on psychotropic medications that you get the neuropsych eval to be, to be able to rule out, rule in or rule out. Is there the other other pole? Is there the mania, the hypomania? And sometimes you know, with kids, we use unspecified bipolar disorder, which is basically saying there's enough evidence from the testing data of, of bipolarity but we're not going to know until another year, two, or three if it's going to turn into bipolar one or bipolar two. And the, really the differences between the bipolar disorders is the length of time that the symptoms of hypomania and mania last. So for hypomania, they have to last a maximum four days. Uh, for mania, they have to last at least one week, and they can sometimes last for three months, followed by a very, very severe depression. Um Adolescent or pediatric bipolar disorder um, is also has other features of kids will have a lack of empathy and they'll have a tendency or propensity towards purposeful violence. So those are really important things to pay attention to. And um, again, you'll start to see it early on. And, you know, when kids go inpatient, they're just, their inpatient is not designed for treatment. It's designed to stabilize. It's just designed to get the person to a place of safety. If they're suicidal, they're homicidal, they're, they're, they're injuring, self-injuring themselves. Never, ever, ever, if you are a parent, a family member in relationship to a child, ever underestimate the seriousness of suicide. Always err on the side of caution. If you have to have your child sectioned, which means hospitalized involuntarily against their will, or you just take them to the emergency room and they send them to a hospital and they're yelling at you, I hate you, I never want to go home. I, I hear this all the time. Parents can deal with an angry child. They can't deal with a dead one. So always err on the side of caution when you there's any concern about suicidality. And a lot of times I'll ask, you know, do you ever come up with a plan? So if their plan is, yeah, I'm an overdose, that's when you want to safeguard all the over-the-counter prescription medications should be under the purview of adults within within that child's environment. Uh, if they're cutting, remove all sharp objects as much as you can. Yeah, this can be very disruptive, uh, especially if you're in a family where you have ch a few children suffering with, with, with mental illness. Um, that that is that is very challenging and and parents don't know always where to turn um but there are people who specialize in treating adolescents um from talking with my colleagues uh everybody's kind of doing like a hybrid model kids have a really hard time um doing telehealth um there's a lot of distraction within the home and you know say you know, they may not always have the privacy that they want. And especially if, if, you know, their parents are part of the problem that are contributing to whatever symptoms they're having, uh, they're not going to feel open enough to want to talk. Um, 
you know, especially, you know, you factor untreated ADHD or processing speed disorders, you know, the kids, you know, they're looking in every other direction. They're not really paying attention. And uh, again, this is a lot of anecdotal information from, from my colleagues uh, who, who treat adolescents. And there are some adolescents that, that really like it. And I, and I think those are the ones that already had an established relationship with a therapist. So they were used to the in-person visit. Then they segued into telehealth. I've, you know, I think those kids tend to have done better with telehealth versus just starting off into the whole system. Because, again, I can tell you as a diagnostician, behavioral observations are a crucial part of, of, of at least what I do. And I think they also play an important role in psychotherapy that if you're asking certain questions about, are you think, have you ever had thoughts of this? Have you ever engaged in this? And um, kids are, for the most part, pretty... Um, pretty honest but you know when the parents leave the room and i go back to all right you ever try any marijuana well yeah um anything else that you know from all the questions i could i could watch as i'm asking the questions that i got to go back to this one because they're not willing to tell tell this information in in front of me and sometimes parents will ask their child to step out of the room and they'll tell me information that they that is going on with their child um that they don't want their child to know because you don't know how that information is going to be perceived. But it's it you know that that it, it's more it's more the kids that are telling me the stuff. Nothing horrible, but you know they don't want their mama to dad to know that they're for example they're cutting. Or you ask like where do you cut? Well, I you know, do you cut on your wrists? No, I cut on the inside of my thigh. Well, that means you don't want anybody to know. So where somebody cuts, if we stick with like self-injurious behaviors, is really important because, you know, if you're cutting and it's and you're wearing, you know, short sleeves and it's very visible, there's kind of a almost an unspoken subtext of I either want attention or, you know, for like, oh wow, they cut, or this is a cry for help. So there's many different factors to it, and that's why the behavioral observation. So if you're coming to my office and you're an adolescent and it, it it's you know 90 degrees in, in Massachusetts and you're coming in in a, a sweater and a turtleneck, we got to talk and we, we got to figure out what, what's going on. Uh, so so transparency and given that I'm able to spend several hours with an adolescent uh, doing all the testing. Uh, kids talk in between. This is kind of the art of doing things. So when kids are like maybe reading instructions for, uh, or about to begin a different test, you know, kind of say, yeah, did you ever think about this? And, you know, when you kind of get their mind di- diverted, they'll, they'll blurt things out that they otherwise likely would keep inside. So, um, you know, uh, the, the work of Ross Green, who's out of Cambridge in Massachusetts, um, is, you know, for kids with behavior problems. Uh, I've repeatedly recommended this book, The Explosive Child, His Basket Technique. I've worked with numerous families uh, on developing that behavioral modification model. And a lot of times we're dealing with, with behavioral issues as it relates to children and adolescents. The irony is the really the work is on the, uh, on, on the caregivers, parents grandparents, whatever, because they're the ones that can levy the consequences for targeted maladaptive behaviors. And sometimes you say that to parents, like, well, yeah, but 
Yeah, but here's the reality. You control the consequence. You control the car keys. You control the phone bill. You control the remote control. It it's your house. So, you know, it and you know, it it it's really a a uh it's really a, a struggle sometimes to not not necessarily develop the program, but not even to implement it, but to stick to it. Because when you have that behavioral dysregulation, you just want to be like, Here, just just take the phone and and just you know that was, and say that was the consequence. Like the problem is once you do that, the ceiling then becomes the floor. So the child escalates at that level of which they got you to eventually give them what what they wanted. But is is adolescent mental health, um, you know, uh, a relevant topic? Absolutely. Is it on the rise? Absolutely. Uh, does it cut across? The vast majority of psychiatric psychiatric conditions, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of pain. There is a lot of um, inward destruction, and there could be a lot of outward destruction. And you can even get into substance abuse. I can't tell you during the pandemic how many young kids, I mean, under the age of 18, 16, 14, 11, who were drinking um, you know, who were, you know, smoking marijuana, um, you know, some, you know, kind of fun recreationally others. Cause I just want to ask like, you know, anybody using substances, what's, what's your purpose? You know, if you're using it on a consistent basis, is it, you know, recreational with your friends or is it, um, is it a form of, of, of self-medicating, but, but open dialogue within the family structure, whatever family structure you may have, that is a, a crucial component. Um, some things, uh, could be, could be situational. There's a lot of bullying, uh, a lot of cyber bullying that, that really impacts kids and, and their, their sense of self and, and, and their, their developing self-esteem and their identity and, and, and words, or lack thereof, whether you're included in this in this this group chat or you're excluded from it, words they impact us all. And anybody who says this that it it you know it, it, to some degree, but I think you know if you get fifty compliments in a day and one person says something negative, we're gonna all forget the fifty and remember the one. I don't know what what that is. I think it has a lot to do with the the fragility of our own individual identities, our own individual senses of self. Um, but we give an inordinate amount of control to other people. Um, this is not about borderline. I'm just saying we give a lot of a lot of control to other people in terms of our identity, and that is something that we need to safeguard and that we need to protect. and And sometimes we need to set boundaries and sometimes eliminate people from our lives. Um, so with kids, you have a lot more more control uh, as as caregivers. But but the earlier you 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 will see this stuff. Pay pay attention. Is your is your child isolating more? Uh, are they becoming more irascible and 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 snippy? Um, it could be they just had a bad day at school, or they didn't get a good enough night night sleep, and you know had a test the next day, and you know that was just a one time deal. Okay, but still keep an eye on it because what that tells you, the evidence is they can go to that place. They can go to that even if you don't see it again for another like six weeks. Just be mindful. And be careful and see what's going on. And also, parents, you should always have access to your kids' social media accounts. I know that they create multiple ones and fake names, but if they're not giving you their passwords, that's a problem. They're hiding something. Um, 
you know, the research has shown uh, 90 minutes prior to bedtime, all electronic devices should be shut off. Uh, this is do as I say, not as I do. Julie and I will be watching TV, like, ready to go to bed. All right. So this, this is, again, definitely do as I say, not as I do. Do as, yeah, do as I say, not as I do. But uh, especially with the young developing brain, it's really crucial to safeguard them from, you know, some of the, you know, um, deleterious effects of, of, of so much screen time. And, you know, generations of parents, most didn't grow up or grew up on the cusp of, of, of cell phones and social media. So, you know, a lot of parents don't really have um, the acumen or the experience with how to navigate that whole world of social media, which is really how adolescents navigate their lives. Uh, rarely do I hear kids say, I'm going to play basketball at the park with my friends. Uh, rarely do I hear kids say, you know, oh, we're going for a walk in the park. We're going to play baseball. I remember doing that as a kid. Uh, and, and then you go home and you have dinner with your family and you go back out and you play again. But now when you're, when you're, when you're given the keys to the world, and could, and could post and search and look up and connect with anything. And I've asked kids, like, how many friends do you have? And they'll say, like, uh, I got 820. Like, you're 12. How do you 820? So the concept of, like, friends um, is really uh, interesting how adolescents uh, perceive it. Uh, just because they're, they, they, they did a like on your, your Instagram page or Snapchat, um, that doesn't necessarily mean friend, but when they get, when, when kids get like unliked or unfollowed, it, it, it's like they, they, they fall apart and they fall apart sometimes to a degree that's, oh, that sucks. And sometimes they fall apart to a degree that's like, life sucks and I don't want to do it anymore. So we can really get to uh, a, a very dark side. So so vigilance is really important. And again, those open dialogue. Uh, Adler had a great technique. I forget what it's called, but it was the, I think it was the Sunday evening dinner technique. And it was basically where everybody goes around and says how their week was and what their plans are for the week. And it's it's an it's an Illyrian technique, but it's very effective that it kept because Illyrian was really Adler was really about family and about social connectedness and uh, our role as socially responsible individuals. Uh, but the work of Rudolf Dreikers was 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 his student uh, who really expanded on Adler's work and really did a lot about having you know intact uh, to the best of our our abilities in 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 the world that we live in that is fast paced. That, that you know, not not to the sense where it's like we don't we don't talk, and there are depending on different cultures, you know, we don't talk about certain problems, you know, we don't we don't share this stuff. This stuff stays in this home. That can be, you know, not tell anybody how to live their lives, but that can have a really negative consequence. Um, so the, the Sunday evening dinner technique was really designed to, you know, maintain that open dialogue where where family members would feel free, especially kids to talk about things that were bothering them and they would get the support from maybe a sibling, a parent, a grandparent who was ever there. But this was a consistent thing and that, you know, the more consistent it was, kids had an opportunity to look forward to something and get things off their chest and possibly triage something that could lead into something much more severe. Um, 
And again, not everybody wants to go the route of medication. You know, genetic testing is something that 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 is available. Genomind, GeneSight, we prefer Genomind. Uh, but a lot of parents, you know, if their child wants to go on a psychiatric medication or is recommended that they do, uh, and, and you're trepidatious about uh, maybe even starting an ADHD med, you can talk to your prescriber. Uh, not everyone does it, but it, it, it it's becoming more mainstream, I think. Um, you could always have, say, you know, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want my child to be a guinea pig. Um, you know, let's so it's 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 you know newer age technology, but I think there there's some benefits to it. It's also really good when people have been on multiple medications and nothing has worked. And that's where you know shed some insight into how the body is metabolizing. So um, just wanted to, you know, from the people I talked to this week, uh, be actively engaged in, and it's painful. It's painful to watch your child suffer. It's painful to watch anybody suffer. Um, and, you know, I know, I know the resources are, are scarce. There's, there's not enough providers. There's not enough uh, people doing this, uh, you know, for the grace of God, like I get tons of referrals uh, every week. I try to get people in as quickly as possible. Doing this long enough, I'm usually able to know at the end of just all the testing before I score and write everything and put a 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 page of L together. Um, that's the anal side of my personality, but I do tend to do more testing than most is, is the goal is to get the answers. Um, and again, we're talking about all that symptom overlap across different disorders in, in the DSM-5. Neuropsych testing is, 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 again, incredibly crucial. And uh, again, just from talking with people across the United States, it's interesting that, that people can't find neuropsychologists um, in, in, in large urban and industrialized areas. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the wait lists are, are long. And I would say get on a wait list, get on a cancellation list. Um but it does give you the answers that you're looking for. And then it, then it's a matter of finding out who's the best treatment provider, um, whether that's family therapy, individual therapy, and sometimes a combination of the two. Um, but the earlier that you can catch things with, with, with adolescents, the, 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 the higher, I think, likelihood of nipping it in the bud I never really got that expression, but it fits. Um, I think it definitely increases the efficacy of, of treatment. So uh, thanks for listening. It's, you know, I'm sure we'll come back to adolescent mental health, but I just wanted to address it on a just a broad spectrum. Um, and, you know, be part of your child's treatment team, ask questions, get information, um, get it, again, get it from reputable sources. Um, just don't go on Google and, you know, I can't tell you how many people come in and say, I think my kid has bipolar disorder. I said, well, what makes you think that? Well, they answered four questions off of the first site on Google. So I was like, all right, let's do the real testing. So until next time, uh, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Feel free to reach out to me at psychologyunpluggedoutlook.com uh, through Psychology Today. You can contact me at 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time. Again, happy Easter. Be well. I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks. Bye.